Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations for Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you guys are all enjoying and listening and reading. I am taking advantage of physical isolation today. I thought it would be a great time to sit down with my longtime friend, Cosmo Wilson, lighting designer and director. Thank you so much for being here today, Cosmo. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored you asked me to be on your podcast. It makes me feel special. You are special. I've always <laughs> enjoyed meeting up with you in person. And I also truly enjoy your Facebook feed. You have such uplifting, wonderful things. It always looks like you're having such a good time on your Facebook feed. It's, uh, it's always uplifting. Well, I appreciate that, you know, and, and I, I try, you know, I'm fortunate, I'm, you know, I'm a happy soul anyway. I, I have been since I was a kid. Um, and, you know, Facebook, I, you know, I was a bit dubious about Facebook in the beginning. Uh, but I, I, I love it because you can reach out, you can share. And, and I've always said it's a fine line between sharing and bragging. You know? <laughs> so, so I try to, you know, I try to share things that I enjoy so, so other people can enjoy them. And, and I try to be uplifting, you know, especially these days with so much negativity, you know, not just on Facebook, but, on, you know, the news, all kinds of social media. So I'm always trying to be positive and share good things, happy things, whether it's sunsets or food pictures or thing you know that's the one thing i love about traveling is it's i used to share with postcards now i can share with pictures and and uh experiences and and that so that's that's important to me you know it's important bringing people happiness and joy well that is uh the kernel of truth of what we were doing out on the out on the road we are it's our joy it's our business to bring joy to people and just kind of extend the message of our artists and make them bigger and make their message larger Sounds like your Facebook is just an extension of what your passion already is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. It, it, it became that, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, you know, in the old days of MySpace and, you know, and then Facebook, <laughs> you know, it was great connecting with other friends, but it, then it was great being able to reach out to a lot of people mm -hmm. um, in, in a good way, you know, and, and uh, share, you know, I don't know. A lot of people share really dumb things like, like little tiny things. And I guess that's their prerogative. But, but for me, I, I like sharing things that are, you know, like I put a picture of me on the Concord during Genesis. So I put it on Facebook this morning mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was a lot of people got a kick out of it. And it was like, wow, you flew on the Concord. And yeah, that's an experience that, you know, I, I'll never forget. And, uh, and I, it's great to share it. And it's great to hear all the positive comments about people who also did it and other people who would have liked to have done it. So. Uh, you and Steve Richards probably have the best sunset photos on <laughs> Facebook. I always appreciate that. Uh, I feel like you're down in Florida taking photos of the sunset 
and you're able to share it to, to me. I'm all the way up in Canada and I get to see the same sunset, not to the same scope, but at least I get to share that with you. And that's just something you've never, we didn't have touring in the beginning or they, to be able to reach that far and that wide. Well, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, and it's, it's funny because I've always, I've always been a sunset guy, you know, living in Florida and, and I've actually got, not tons, but I've got a lot of photos of sunsets I took back on the old uh, film days. Um, you, you know, and it's, it's, I guess growing up, my grandparents had a house up in the Ocala Forest on a lake and the sunset on the other, you know, we lived on the east side of the lake. So we watched the sunset every night on the west side. And I just guess I grew up appreciating sunsets then. And, and uh, so I, I still do. And the cool thing about it is it's free and it happens every single day. Yeah, I mean, you know, depending on the weather. You yeah, know, but it's free. And beautiful colors. That's yeah. kind of what's kind yeah. of our thing. We're yeah. we're we're just drawn to beautiful colors. Along the the sunsets, I also love all of your your jubilation photos. It's there's lots of pictures of you really enjoying your food and the places you're going and the people that you meet. And that's got to be a benefit to you to be able to like share that so far and wide. It, it, it really is. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I do, uh, let's go back to an early story when I've always wanted to travel. I've always been fascinated with other countries and, and places and cultures and food. And, you know, when I was a kid, you had geography books and, and, and I did anyway, and they had photos and stories about other countries and places. And I was always intrigued and, you know, I always wanted to travel. So, so, so now that I get to travel, um, you know, I, I love it myself, but I, I, what had happened is when I first went out on the road, we were in Europe and there were people that would take me out under their wing kind of sort of, and show me things in restaurants and turn me on to a new food. You know, I mean, it really wasn't obvious that it was my first time. Cause I never said, this is my first time here. I always, you know, played quiet about that, but I still had the older guys, you know, the more experienced road guys would take me out on the road and, and, uh, and bring me to places. So I always appreciated that. And, and, and I guess kind of what I do now is I, I kind of, and I've been doing it for a long time is not so much pay it back, but I guess do the same thing, pay it forward, have young, younger people on my cruise and stuff. And I've always done that. I've always shared with them. And then here comes Facebook and social media. It's, it's a new avenue to share. Um, you know, just like, as I said, when I was a kid, I was looking at a picture in a book. Now I'm actually sharing that exact moment on, on, you know, immediately it's instantaneous and mm -hmm. it's that I love doing that. I would imagine that anybody who doesn't know you and just follows you on Facebook would imagine that your entire life is a party. There's just so much, so much going on in your Facebook feed that they would imagine that that's all that you do. Well, you know, it's, I, I tend to, as they say, accentuate the positive. I, you know, I, I, I try to, I mean, I don't, I, my Facebook page is, is, is not my thoughts and what I'm doing and stuff, but mm -hmm. I try to keep it positive and I try to keep it interesting and, and I try to post things that I think would excite other people, you know, and, and, and interest them and educate them, you know, or bring a smile to their face. You know, it's, it's, I mean, like when I take a picture or like of me and a friend or two friends, like if you and I were somewhere having dinner, I'd make sure we did a selfie or got a picture of us sitting at dinner and then people would see you and me smiling and it would bring joy to mm -hmm. see that you and me were having a good time together. It's just sharing the joy. It's basically just a digital expression of your gratitude for that meeting and that, that experience. 100%. 
uh, I would imagine some people that would, would think that a man of your experience having all that party, they would, they would think that you might be partying to excess sometimes, or is that something that you've had to learn the hard way or is that something you've always known to not let that get ahead of you? Well, I mean, it's, I put a lot of Facebook food, uh, sorry, food pictures on my Facebook page. I put a lot of, you know, food pictures. Sometimes like, it'll be like, we'll have this sushi and I'll have this huge platter. You know, several of us are joining in eating it or, mm-hmm. you know, two or three of us are eating it. And, and just because you see all that food on that picture doesn't mean I'm eating every single bite, <laughs> you know. But, but I mean, you know, it's just I like presenting good fo- food photos because people really appreciate that. So I would imagine that some of the bands that you work for, there's there's parties that are fairly excessive. I would imagine, I don't know if you partake that much anymore, but did was that uh, something that you had to learn in the past to, well, uh, to get well, to, some rest and kind of not go too excessive? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I back in the 80s and 90s, I did my share of drugs and drinking and stuff. But, you know, I've never, it's, for me, it's always been, you know, moderation is key. You know, I've... Um, you know, when I started running lights for headlining acts uh, uh, in 89, you know, even when I was running lights for, you know, for the support bands, you know, when I was a crew chief and stuff, I didn't, well, first of all, I didn't do any drugs before the show. You know, I stayed away from that completely. You know, sometimes I might have had, you know, some tours, I might have had some beers during the show, you know, but I, I never, I never partook during the day when I started running lights. Uh, back in the day when I was on a crew and stuff like that, you know, we had tendencies to party a little bit during the, on the, sh- on the, sh- on the show days, but not in, not in excess where it affected our ability to do our job. You know, I'm, I'm still amazed at how much we could do and still do our job though. <laughs> it sounds like you have a very sustainable uh, business practice. It sounds like you're going to be around for a very long time. Well, this is my 41st year in the business, so I, I think I've sustained myself pretty well. And but that's the key. I mean, it's always been, I, I've always considered doing a good job, number one. Mm-hmm. You know, the most important thing is to, to continue to do a good job. And, and my own, my, the worst critic is me. You know, I've always been harder on myself than anybody. And that's, that's, that, that, I think, is one of the main keys to my success. That's a great philosophy to, to propel you towards a top dog award, which is well-deserved. I know it, it's, I, I, I win them and, and I, I get surprised. I mean, every time I get nominated, I'm honored to be nominated and I'm hopeful. And, uh, you know, I, I don't win every, I haven't won every award I've been nominated for, but I, I'm still shocked and surprised by the ones I've won and, and um, I'm very, you know, honored and, and uh, gracious to receive them. Not, you know, not just the award itself, but the fact that so many people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, put me in that position, it makes me feel really good. That's an award on its own, just uh, <laughs> well, <I laughs> surviving. Mean, yeah, it, it, you're right. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, I look back, you know, so 41 years ago in 1979 is when I started, you know, and, and you know, even let's go back 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I, it's the fact that I'm still working for these bands, that I'm working for more bands than, you know, that I've, I, Aerosmith, I never dreamed I'd work for Aerosmith. And, and here I am, you know, and the 70-year-old Steven Tyler, and you know, a band that's celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. I would have never 50. dreamed 10 years ago that I would be working with these guys. Yeah, 50, 50 years. It's unbelievable. They've been a band longer than most bands have, are alive. That's amazing. Well, I mean, you look at a band like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles that were together for a few years and broke up, and, you know, it was just the, the lifespans, you know, four, five, six years, and a band breaks up. The fact that some bands are still together you know, 40, 50 years later is, is incredible. 
when did you first get the call from Aerosmith? Uh, back in uh, 2012, um, I got a call that they uh, that Stephen was looking for a new new lighting. He, well, he wasn't looking for a new lighting designer. He wanted ACDC's LD. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because he'd seen. You know, they always come. And that's the nice thing about you know, the you don't really need a resume. You just need somebody to come and see your work. And yeah. And what he really really liked is my big solid looks and my timing. You know, he's all about timing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. So he, he, uh, they got in touch with me. He called me directly actually. And, and, um, you know, I was at first, I was like, Oh no, I can't do this. You know, it is, you hear all the rumors and everything, but, um, the, my wife, Deanna said, honey, she said, he's, you're going to end up being his BFF, you know, he's, you know, and, and I spoke to Opie cause Opie is, is really good. And he, he said, listen, Cosmo, he says, you'd be really good. You would get really, you get along really well with Steven. You, you guys would get along. And he, he was right. You know, several people said that, that knew the camp and knew Steven and it is a tough camp. And Steven is very not difficult to work for. I mean, you know, he has, I shouldn't say difficult. He makes you work harder. He makes you think harder. I mean, the, some of the best work I've ever done has been with Aerosmith because they push you. And uh, so, but, but anyway, so I, so I got that and, and jumped right in and, and uh, you know, that was uh, that was uh, eight, nine years ago. Would you say demanding is a better better term? Would you say he's um, demanding? Well, I, I think yeah, he's demanding, but I think that goes with, with any of the good bands that you work for. They they're yeah. all demanding. They you know they know what they want or they want you to perform your best because they're up on stage doing their best. Mm-hmm. But but I think he's he's um I always said that Stephen wants you to learn to read his mind, and it's funny. Ooh. Obviously, obviously you can't read someone's mind. But what what I what I did with with Stephen and the heirs of the camp is got to know them really well and learned what I think they wanted, you know, and, and, um, and that's, that's worked really well. You know, it's, it's sometimes I'm completely wrong, but uh, <laughs> sort of a part, Cosmo artist translator. You have to, yeah, yeah. to translate what they're trying to ask of you. Well, um, exactly. I mean, you know, the fact that, you know, it's, we all, we all love the music, you know, mm-hmm. whether we write it or listen to it, we all love it. And I, I think as, as long as, you know, Steven's very, very big about that, you know, about lyrics and the song and the meaning and the feel of it. And, and, I, and I think if, if you, and that, that as a lighting designer and director, as you know, you're, as the, what you, you put the feeling of that song in, into lights and the cues mm-hmm. into timing. And, and so that's kind of, that's what helped me with Aerosmith. And, and so it helps me with every single band I work with, that's, that attitude. Yeah, in fact, let's go back one step. How did you get the phone call from ACDC? Which is quite a, arguably one of the largest bands in the world. Well, it, it's a uh, it's it's funny uh, a little little story about uh you know Motley from uh he does Kiss from Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, Motley was on my lighting crew in the in '91 in Australia because he was he was a he worked for Jan's Lighting, and then he ended up being the LD for Kiss. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, he says Cosmo, it's it's funny. He says the largest the well most well-known american band is being run by an australian ld and the well most well-known australian band is being run by an american ld so i always, I always laugh at that <laughs> how that happened but well the the acdc happened because i was working with patrick woodruff and we we would my first tour i did with him was um uh the rolling stones a steel wheels tour which started in 1989 and I came on as a, as a crew chief for that. And uh, Sean Richardson, who was the LD, had to leave to go to Tina Turner. And I was kind of, I'm not going to say naive, but I was. I didn't realize that they were grooming me to take over. Well, what would happen is uh, Sean would have me, you know, the show was three hours long and, and he had to go pee every so often. So I would, I would take over and run the console for a song or two. And, and 
gradually they would they saw my talent and uh, he went to do tina we went to japan and and uh and patrick's we got in japan and there was i said who the hell's gonna run lights and patrick says I'll, I'll run most of the show he says he says you know some of the show you can run it as well i'm like yeah sure of course yeah so the first night i ran like half the show the second night i ran the other half the show and and the the, the third night of the tour which was my uh, i think my 29th birthday or 30th birthday he said to me, listen, he says, you want to take over the, the Rolling Stones and do the rest of the tour? And I was like, well, yeah. But it was that, that moment, it was like, <laughs> was I this stupid that I didn't see this coming? So, <laughs> you know, so, but we did that. And that was in uh, February. And, and we did, uh, we, we did finish Japan. We went, to, we went to Europe and did a whole European tour. Towards the end of the European tour, Patrick came to me and he said, listen, I've got another tour coming up uh, this fall you might be interested in. And I said, who's that? And he said, ACDC. And I was like, sign me up. And, uh, that is a great story. It's really hard to tell if that's eagerness or if that's naivety right there. You, you kind of got tricked into the best path forward there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny. That's what happens when you just keep saying yes to everything. You're like, yeah, 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 I'll try. I can do that. I can try it. Let's see if I can do that. And we'll see. That's, that's like you were very motivated. That's, that's the way I've always been. I mean, my, my, my first gig was for a band in New York called Falconetti. And a friend of mine who I went to high school with in New York said they needed a drum tech. And pre, prior to that, I'd played in a band, like a little high school band, nothing major. And you, you, you screw around with the drums and stuff like that. So he said, can you, can you be a drum tech? Can you set up drums? And I said, yes. And so yes. I went and, and uh, yeah, exactly. So I went and did the first gig and it, it was okay. But the guy that normally did the backline stuff set up the drums for me and they said, oh, nothing really changed. So we were not going to hire you. And I said, well, hang on a second, give me a chance. Let me go to the rehearsal loft and, and, and set up the drum kit a few times. So I did. And I learned the drum kit by heart. And the next gig, which is the next weekend, I set up everything. The drummer sat down. I said, wow, this is perfect. And I was hired. And through, through that one gig, I, especially in New York in 1979, there was so much work and I got gig after gig after gig. And, you know, I, I didn't know anything about being a backline guy, about tuning instruments or anything, but it was easy to learn. I was keen. And anytime they said, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this gig? I said, yes. And, and I would learn it either by doing it or asking the guys I was working with. It's, it's like the, the one thing that really sticks out is uh, somebody said they need a keyboard tech. Do you know how to tune a Wurlitzer? Well, mo I don't know. Most people don't know. A Wurlitzer <laughs> is an electric piano, but it has tines on it. You know, like a synthesizer or something like that is, is different. It's all circuits. But a Wurlitzer has tines and the way you tune it, and I found this out after I said yes, is there's solder on the end of the tine that sharpens or flattens the, the tine note. So um, I, I never had to do it, thank God. But I, I think they jokingly said it to, to say, just to see if I said yes. And I said yes. I took, got the gig and, and, and it worked out. But I've never said no. I've always said yes. That's amazing. That's it, like the bravest version of fake it till you can make it. I can imagine you're just like, well, I'm, I'm either going to do it or I'm going to die trying. So... Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, somebody, I'm in an airplane and somebody says, can you fly? <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I wouldn't say yes to that. I would say I, I can try, you know, if you're here next to me. <laughs> if I'm your best option, then I'm going to yeah. give you, I'm going to give you everything I got. I'll tell you what, I'll fly it. You land it and, and, we're, and we're good. You know, <laughs> you didn't say, I, you didn't ask if I could land. So what was your first day with ACDC like then? Um, it was, a uh, well, the, the first day, I mean, what we, 
there was a lot to it back then. And this is a really cool story. Patrick would have had a studio in uh, London, in Battersea. Uh, and it was in a railway arch. Uh, you know, a railway arch is a, is a, under, is a bridge under, a, I'm just saying, I mean, you know what a railway arch is, but what they did in England is they, they put walls on each side of the arch. That way it became like a, a curved warehouse. So Patrick had this idea to start a studio called Four to One. And what it was, it was a quarter scale studio with park hands, a little, you know, miniature pars, pars, and with MR16s. And so we would rebuild lighting rigs in a quarter scale. And that way we could program to our heart's content. There was no backline guys, carpenters, sound guys to put up with. We would sit there. Uh, this is before moving lights were really huge. We still had profiles that would mimic, but we could program and, you know, move stuff around. So anyway, my first, we, we did the, um, we, we put up the ACDC lighting rig and, and miniature in that, in that four to one and, and programmed. But my first, uh, my first day was in B uh, Binghamton, New York, when we, when we did rehearsal. And for me, it was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, Jake Berry was the production manager at the time and, and uh, he'd all, he was already, he was a legend. I mean, you know, but, but I'll never forget that walk about, I don't know, three or four in the morning. He'd gone back after load-in, rigging had started, and, and he, was, he, we, he called me. He says, why don't you walk over with me? So we walked from the hotel to the, to the Civic Center, and it was such a great thing with him. You know, here's this legendary, you know, uh, Jake Berry walking with me over to the venue, just talking about ACDC and everything, and it was such a great experience. And, you know, you know walking in, I greeted my crew, and, and um, uh, it, was a, it was fantastic. It was such a great, you know, that that you know in, in the in the foggy morning and i think it was in october of, of 1990 nice. it was pretty 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 special for me especially with patrick you know what was it, the four to one like you i would imagine you had a full-size console of the time and then you just had a, a miniature version where you could just hang little trusses and lights yeah, you, yeah we, they, they had a we, we we built it during the stones actually we built we, when we had when we were doing when we were touring in europe and when we had a few days off we'd fly to london and and work on it um we had a, a block, a miniature block and fall system with a grid. Uh, so you could actually put in, you didn't put in a hoist, obviously. You put in a, a, right. little, a little block and fall. Or you could just tie stuff off. But we had miniature trusses, miniature pars. We had these, um, they weren't like Lecos. It's, they almost looked like very lights. They were, they were these black profiles. And, and while they didn't move, they still had, you could still, you know, make them beamy. Huh. Um, we had a miniature drum kit, you know, we had little miniature, those min little miniature mannequins, you know, microphones. I mean, all this stuff was made so we could set the stage up in a drum riser. Um, like a it, it, old dollhouse, basically. Yeah, yeah, it really was, you know, I mean, and it was fantastic. And you could bring the bands in so they could see it. And uh, it, that was that worked out pretty well. I did um, Freddie Mercury AIDS benefit in there. I had I had. Uh, Brian May sitting next to me for two nights, uh, going and you know, programming just me and him. It was such that was such a great experience. He's awesome. That must have been amazing. What? Uh, how did that come out? Come about? That was for the the Freddie Mercury event. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was after it was after Freddie died. Um, they decided to do a, a benefit for you know to make money for AIDS research, and and basically they had all these bands come in and do Queen songs, their version of Queen song. I mean, it was a you know, it was a huge event at Wembley Stadium. Where so in order to do the, the concert, Brian had to come over and you guys had to play four to one scale for, for a night. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was incredible. It was, um, we, let, let's see, how did this work out? I mean, we, 
the, uh, there were so many different bands. The only, we are the only ones, because actually uh, Dave Hill was, was the uh, other person with me, but I just sat there because he was doing the very lights. I was doing all the uh, conventional. So I sat in there for 10 days and then the, they had a rehearsal uh, and all the different bands were rehearsing their, their stuff. And, you know, it was a typical festival, you know, uh, awards kind of show where each band had their time and stuff. You know, Def Leppard was there. First time Vivian Campbell was in the band. Um, the cool thing about that show was um, um, Spinal Tap was was one of the performers. Awesome. And they didn't bring their LD, so I, they let me run lights. So I get to run lights for Spinal Tap, which is one of my you know, great <laughs> great moments of my career. For reals, a real Spinal Tap LD. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was it, it was great. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it was such a heartfelt thing. Elizabeth Taylor was there. Michael Jackson was there. Uh, the the, the uh, Prince Charles and Diana were there. I mean, it was uh, over the top, you know. And at the and then we found out that all these, you know, a billion and a half people around the world watched it. Um, it was a, uh, you know, you, you knew it was special. It wasn't as big as Live Aid, mm-hmm. you know, but it was on that scale, especially at Wembley. And and uh, you know, when when uh, when when you know the rest of Queen came up and did did Queen songs, it was incredible. Do you Fantastic. still get intimidated by audience sizes? I find uh, sometimes I do. I, I'm still, I'm not at the level where I am completely immune to audience size. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny. I've, I haven't been intimidated by audience size in a long time. I, I just, I, I, I quite the opposite. I mean, it energizes me when I, when I see the crowd, I just get so vibed up and ramped up and it is so exciting to me to, you know, I, I, I don't go out to the, I don't go too early, especially stadiums with ACDC and stuff. I, I don't go out, hang out at the mix. You know, mm-hmm. I wait um, until, uh, you know, I don't generally go out and watch the, I'll go watch the opening act a couple of times just to see them, especially if it's good, I'll, you know, but there's something for me walking, you know, from the backstage area, you know, um, to the front of house. And I haven't been out there since, you know, since probably doors. I usually leave at doors because my work is done. Right, and uh, then I make my way out, and, and as, as I stroll out into that crowd, it just the, just seeing it, feeling it, the energy, uh, it's such an excitement. It, it is such a, it's such an excitement for me. I always, I always get the feeling it's like how the astronauts felt walking to the Saturn V before they went to the moon. You know, that's how. It's a feel. great analogy. Well, it's, it's, it has that same kind of excitement for me. Yeah, when I especially at festivals, when you walk down that center barricade aisle, I yep. still get oh, that yeah. feeling yep. where you know that some people are looking at you and going, "You're like, oh, who's that guy? What's he doing? Why is he in the barricade and I'm yeah. not?" And there, and you're clearly walking with purpose, and you have a radio on, and yep. you know, usually we're not in a spacesuit; we're in cargo shorts and a, <laughs> a shirt. But yeah, yeah, no oxygen box, right? <laughs> Uh, that actually brings up another question I've always wanted to talk to you about is your shirts. How did that come to be a thing? I know so many people that recognize you by your shirts. They could pick you out in a crowd. <laughs> and if you weren't wearing the shirt, they might not know that that's Cosmo. Well, that's I'll Cosmo? Tell you, I'll tell you a funny story about that in a minute. But my shirts, I don't know. I've always liked, yeah, you know, I'm a lighting guy. I've always liked loud light bright things and mm-hmm. and i was in australia probably with genesis in 86 i mean i don't know i living in florida i've always had a couple of hawaiian shirts you know i've mm-hmm. always i grew up with hawaiian shirts but i i was in australia in about 86 with genesis and they just had some nice kind of they were almost aboriginal style hawaiian style shirts i still got them they're my first two that i bought down there 
and like I said, I was buying shirts in Florida anyway, but I just started wearing them more and more. And, you know, working as a crew, as a, on lighting, climbing trusses, you couldn't wear Hawaii. You couldn't wear, I mean, it's t-shirts, t-shirts, t-shirts. You couldn't wear that shit, climbing trusses and focusing bars. But, you know, once I became an LD, I mean, still on days off, I'd wear nicer shirts like Hawaiian mm-hmm. shirts. But once I started running lights full time, I w- started wearing Hawaiian shirts more and more. And, um, and, 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 you know, that, then it became my, you know, my staple, right. You know, and, and I would buy them everywhere I went. And I, you know, every time I go to Hawaii, I'd stock up and, and that's, and then, it, you know, like you said, people started recognizing my, in my Hawaiian shirts and, and, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. I was out on a, you'll love this. I was out with the American Idol and let's see, I was doing this with big, with, with Mike Finicaro. I was, um, it was, it, it was a scorpions. It was a scorpions. We, I would walk out the front of the house and Finn would get on his, on the box in front of his dimmer rack, you know, like a little step, step box. And he'd look to see if, make sure I was walking out before he put his headsets on. And he could always see me because in the scorpions, it was a sea of black shirts. He'd see me in my Hawaiian shirt walking to the mix. Well, fast forward, uh, I don't know, much later, we're in Hawaii. We're doing two show, I think three shows down there at, at Blaisdell Arena. He gets up on his box to see me walking in front of the house, and he said, "I couldn't see you because everybody's wearing Hawaiian shirts." <laughs> no, so but that's that. That's you know, I've I've got. It's funny that I've had people telling me now they don't call them Hawaiian shirts anymore; they call them Cosmo shirts, and that really makes me feel good. Wow, what a reputation to have! Yeah, that's, uh, that's that could end up being your legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always felt that it's really important for us to set ourselves apart. And if it, if it's a shirt or uh, an attitude or any sort of gimmick, it, I'm always in favor of finding whatever it is that defines us as unique. And it definitely seems like you found that one and it's really working for you. Uh, well, so- the, the, the nice thing, I mean, my shirt, my shirts reflect not only what I do as a living, you know, and a bright lighting, you know, director, mm-hmm. uh, designer, you know, uh, I'm also it, it it reflects my personality bright and shiny and, and happy and you know and, and a lot of them are funny so that, that, <laughs> that makes me feel good too that helps a lot uh speaking of being memorable how did you uh, how did you acquire your nickname some people are lucky with great nicknames some people get less well, that terrible I ones. was I was lucky in the sense that I I, I kind of was given the choice and I was working in the Lakeland Civic Center back in the early 80s as a stagehand, and we had a Miss USA pageant, did a contract for three three years down there doing the pageants down there. So one year I was down, I think it was 84, and there was a carpenter from New York uh, who was one of the, he was one of the, he wasn't the head carpenter, but he was one of them, and he, he would nickname guys on the crew, you know what I mean? He, he first called me Rescue, and then he called me Cosmo, Cosmo Brown, actually, and, and uh he just kind of, he just kind of would just call it to me, you know, Cos- Cosmo Brown. And, and so one of the guys in the locals started calling me Cosmo a couple of times. And I was, you know, my real name was Charlie and it was Charlie. And then I went on the road and, and when I was out with Genesis, we had a crew, we had a, uh, our crew chief and head rigger was a guy named Charlie Boxhall. And I was the new guy on the lighting crew. You know, I was like the number three or four guy in the lighting crew. And, 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 um, Morris Lida, who was a production manager, said, okay, uh, we can't have two Charlies on the lighting crew. He said, and since Charlie's your boss and their head rigger, you need to come up with a nickname. Just, do you have a nickname? And he said, if you don't have one, we'll just come up with one for you. And I thought, fuck. 
And I thought about it and I said, Cosmo. And they said, okay, Cosmo it is. Because I didn't want to end up with this name like Spermhead. <laughs> you know, something like that. You were one decision away from getting Spermhead. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Yeah, that would, that would be very unfortunate if you had to fly out of Spermhead Airport as your... <laughs> as opposed to Cosmo Airport. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I, yeah. Uh, so you've been doing this. Your nickname has been Cosmo for how long ago was that? That was 1984, and Genesis was 1986. 86, and then yeah. you just one blurt of your of your mouth, and you've been. Yeah. And do your friends still call you Charlie or Cosmo or are you Cosmo? It's, well, here's the funny thing. ACDC call me Charlie, you know, when okay. I started working for them in 1990 and I, you know, I was introduced as Charlie Wilson. So they still call me Charlie. Um, I have some older friends that call me Charlie, um, okay. you know, and uh, anybody who calls me Charlie's known me a really long time, but, <laughs> you know, so, but uh, mostly it's, it's Cosmo. I'm like, you know, my wife she calls me Cosmo, but when she's trying to get my attention, she'll call me Cosmo Charlie. (laughs) That's when you know that maybe something's changed if if you're being called Charlie. Yeah. I'm starting to, I'm starting to get a lot of that these days. Uh, I'm home a lot more than normal. And my wife and I had a, a certain pattern where daddy was coming home and then daddy was leaving and there is no daddy's leaving. So I'm I'm getting Christopher a, a few more times than normal, uh, but <laughs> if anybody else is listening, if you're getting in trouble more and more often at home, you're not alone. I'm as a as a bunch of roadies, we're we were just expected to be off out on the road for a certain amount of time. But well, exactly. I mean, I used to get yeah, every so often, my wife would say, "When are you leaving again?" Mm-hmm. You know, and that was kind of the first hint. Yeah, you know, obviously she knows I'm not leaving again, and she I just kind of every so often I get the eye roll. You know, she doesn't say anything. She's happy I'm home, so it's it's good. Yeah, mine too. But uh, it, it definitely leads to more walking of the dogs. It's like, why don't you go walk the dog again? <laughs> come back and come back. Yeah, but, but go <laughs> go walk the dog for a while and and take the kids, and uh, don't call me for twenty minutes. It's that's our yeah. new that's our new pattern for conflict resolution. Is why don't you go walk the dog for? Uh, yeah. You know, take it for a long walk. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, mine's, are you working in the garage today? Good. <laughs> no, nah, the garage is all clean. No, nah, you're, work, you're working in the garage today. Yes, honey. Doesn't the, doesn't the garden need weeding? <laughs> yeah, very clever. It sounds like you're, you're coming uh, around to the new norm as well. Yeah, We're yep. mm-hmm. sorting this out every day. One of the ones I often get asked, and I, I don't know how to answer this one, is isn't touring just a bunch of debauchery and wildness out there. And I'm of the generation where I've never got to experience that. I started touring in the uh, late nineties, but by the time I started touring, it had already become far more corporatized. Yeah. A lot, lot more politically correct by then. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, have you completely adjusted? Is it, do you still have, uh, feelings for the old days is it how does it affect you the way well I, I mean these days? I mean you know there's always been you know, people have always thought that you know when I first started working in a business it was like it must be great partying with the band 
And I'm like, my back then, especially back then, I mean, I was up at six, seven in the morning for load in and I would crawl back in my bunk at two in the morning after a couple of beers. And so, you know, show days, we didn't, I didn't party with the band, you know, and, you know, and then on days off, you know, days off, we, we had fun and stuff. But as far as partying with the band, I mean, you know, so often we'd have, you know, parties with the band, but on that tour scale of touring, you don't. You know, I was doing when I was I was doing smaller stuff in the in the in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, local bands and stuff touring the state of Florida. We partied, but right. but as far as you know, people come to me. It must be great partying with a band. I go, no, no, no. I work, and they would almost be disappointed. So I just got to the point, and I say, yeah, <laughs> it's fucking great, man. <laughs> you know, it just it was just easier to say yes and and not you know yeah. blow their you know their, their dream. I feel I feel the same. the The stereotype is so prolific that they, they kind of think that you're, you might be lying to trick them. Yeah, like, well, exactly. Oh, you're, you're just, just lying. That, yeah, yeah. You're just saying that you're being humble and you're like, well, no, until it comes time to, I have to, con- I have to anti-convince my wife that it's yeah. not like that. Like, no, babe, I'm, I promise I'm, I'm working. Uh, no matter what anybody might be telling you, I promise you it's not backstage passes and groupies and, you know, I'm not hanging out with these people and doing blow in the off strippers or anything like that. It's I'm really just hanging out on the bus. Well, I mean, looking, seeing what Cosmo's uh, sunsets (laughs) look like. (laughs) Well, it's funny how it's changed, but I mean, back, you know, I, 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 fortunately I did, I did, I've had, I had a lot of fun with, with those days with, with girls and drugs and partying and back lounge. And I mean, you know, I, I, you you know, and it started going away for a couple of reasons. You know, as you said, it got corporate, you know, got politically correct. Um, you know, things got more on the straight and narrow. Uh, also age, you know, you start getting older, you can't, you can't recover from a night of cocaine fueled alcohol debauchery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you couldn't go to bed at four thirty and get up at seven and, and do, you know, it's back. I, I don't know how I did it. Well, I did. I was young, you know, I, I got up and, and kicked ass and got my lighting rig up and, and work. But, you know, once I started running lights, it was a little, it was, it was more critical for me to really be on my toes, you know, to, to do the best job I could for the band, you know, lighting wise and, and hangovers and running a good lighting show don't, don't, don't work. And so, so, you know, just, just as time went, I was more careful. I mean, I still partied and had fun and drank and stuff, but I was just more careful and didn't stay up until four or five in the morning. You must have been doing it very well. I've heard that you actually have a fan club. I've heard that some people actually come to shows to see you. <laughs> and you, you basically you hold court out in front of house sometimes. There are people that are like, I came to see Cosmo and see what he's up to. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I have a lot of, it's, I wouldn't call it so much my fan club. I have like this Japanese fan club, but they, 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 they're tricky. They, they hold up signs that say we love Cosmo, but then they have 20 signs with I heart somebody else on the crew, you know? So they, <laughs> they, 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 they just want to, they just, they want picks and they want set lists and stuff like that. But I mean, as far as the, I mean, I wouldn't, I, there, you know, there's the people who, there's my friends who come to my show and they want to see me work because they, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, you know, I run lights. It's like, for me, it's like, you know, uh, conducting a symphony orchestra, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I'm very, I'm not going to say flamboyant, but, but I, I, I am into it. You know, I dance, I don't really dance, but it's just my movements. And, and, uh, you know, if people, people want to come and see, see, see me run, the, run the lights. And, you know, I've, I had a friend of mine from Florida who was out in Vegas and he'd never seen me run my show before. And he was, he said, I was more fascinated watching you run the show than watching the show itself. And, 
And uh, that's know, a huge compliment. Don't. It really was. I mean, people don't see that. People see the show, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I've had people in the audience come to me and say, "I loved watching you work," you know. And and because it's, I'm passionate about it, you know, I'm passionate. Are you are you a concert goer as well? Like, do you do you feed off the off the energy from the stage? You mean when I'm running lights? Uh, yeah, that's probably two different questions. One, yeah. do you feed? Are you feeding oh, off the energy from coming one hundred percent? You know, I feed feed off the, the band. I mean, there. Are, I mean, you know, you. I don't know. And you tell me how many times this has happened to you. There have been nights that it's just magic. I can't explain yep. it. There's this. There's this something. I mean, I can. I'm getting chills thinking about it now. And it's been maybe three or four times in my career. You know, it doesn't happen that often that you just. There's this. You know, and the first time I really felt it was an ACDC show in Oslo, Norway. You know, and this is in 1990. I mean, mm-hmm. I, the feeling to just, it, this, it was just this whole magic thing with the, 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 the you know, co- coming off the stage into me and then the audience. And, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I got to tell you a moment. Uh, people ask me, are there any moments uh, in, your, in your career? And, and, and for me, I was out with the Rolling Stones and we were at Olympic Stadium in Berlin, Germany in 1990 and uh i forget i can't remember what song it was but it was a you know um it was a song where it was audience sing-along i put the audience lights up and and here i am in the middle of you know historic stadium olympic stadium and in, in, you know west berlin and mm-hmm. and I, I look around and there's all these germans and they're on you know there's girls on guys shoulders and they're singing and swaying and and mick jagger's up on stage and you know with his arms in the air and and i look around and i think God, how lucky am I to be part of this, bringing so much joy to so many people? I mean, everybody's smiling. I mean, how many things can you do that you have 80,000 people smiling at the same time? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that for me, that, that, that epitomized everything right then and there. And this goes back to 1990. So, and but, since uh, then, you can remember maybe two or three, three or four times that you've ever had that, that euphoric gratitude and uh, appreciation or is yeah, it just yeah. That, that magic yeah yeah you know it's it's i mean AC, amazing. acdc a couple of times uh, aerosmith definitely i gotta tell you the first show i did with aerosmith uh in minneapolis was like that i mean it was a i don't know it was it was a crap show i mean in the sense of <laughs> you know it was the first show of the tour and all that but there was just some sort of i can't explain it i just had that my you know electricity running through me it was fantastic I often feel that the I get that when the show is over and I don't even remember the show. Like sometimes I'll just have these moments where like I made it through the whole show and I wasn't even working. Like yeah. I wasn't at a job. Yeah, yeah, I, I no, was, yeah. It was the opposite of it. being in a cubicle. It was just short of being a concert goer, which is, which is what led to my second part of that question. Like I was actually part of the audience. I just happened to have a console in front of me. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I've always, I mean, I used to, oh yeah, I was a heavy concert goer back in, you know, 1976, I went to see Kiss at the Lakeland Civic Center. And that was just that, that was it. I mean, that hooked me. I mean, that was worse than any kind of heroin <laughs> or anything. I mean, that was, I was hooked and, you know, I, 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 you know, I listened to music when I was younger, but, you know, seeing that concert, uh, I saw Led Zeppelin in 1977 at the garden in New York and that, that impressed upon me. I mean, I saw Aerosmith a bunch of times, I, you know, so I, mean, I wanted to be a rock star, you know, that was my first thing as I wanted to be a rock star. And I said, I was going to be a rock star by the time I was 18. Well, 
I wasn't a rock star by the time I was 18, but I look at my life now and I go, I got, I got the best, best of both worlds. You kind of are a rock star to me. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. How is technology changing your appreciation of the show? Are you still more concerned about the technology or is it still just about emphasizing the show? Well, for me, it's all, it's all about emphasizing the show. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, I, I mean, I go to LDI. I mean, obviously I go to LDI for the number one thing to see my friends. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's um, the, the one thing, I mean, you know, when I first started, there was, there was a moving, moving lights, moving light technology had, had, was pretty well in its infancy. I mean, Genesis, um, you know, the, the number model, you know, very VL1 was out. Um, there was other, you know, cyber lights, stuff like that. It just started. There was a French light called the Telescan. Um, you know, so, you know, and, and, a, and a tour had half a dozen or two a dozen lights, moving lights, and everything else was power cans and ACLs. And I, you know, I was, I, I, I learned how to run lights through conventionals, on, you know, on a conventional desk and power cans and stuff. And, and uh, you know, when I started, you know, when I, when I started doing the bigger tours and we had a, you know, I'd run conventionals and we had a, a you know, moving light operator running the artisan or, you know, at the time that was pretty much it. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I, when I, when I started ACDC, I had Guy Forrester running, running, a uh, very lights and I was running, uh, uh, Selco. And then the, the, the desk that changed my life was, uh, the icon console from LSD. Mm-hmm. And for the first time I could run moving lights and conventionals at the same time. And, uh, guy decided he kind of wanted to stay at home and raise his kids. And so I had the option of running everything myself and, and I jumped in, you know, I, I said, yes, um, <laughs> you know, I kind of felt bad about it because I could have gotten somebody else to come in and run moving lights and I, but I, I wanted to do it myself, you know, instead of standing behind my moving light operator telling what I want, you know, I, I would, um, I could do it myself. Every, every there's nothing, not, there's nothing in, I, once again, it's for me, it's about, about, about the show. I mean, I, yeah. I'll run a show with any lights, you know, I, I'll busk a show with, with any lights. It doesn't, so, I mean, I still spec things I like that I know that work that, you know, that, that, you know, that, that I'm used to that, you know, I'm not a huge gobo guy, you know, I use mm-hmm. gobos and ballads. That's about it. For me, it's just big, huge looks and, and punch, you know, and big, big meaty looks and, and uh, you know, just stuff that matches the music. Yeah. I sometimes find that some of the lower tech shows that I've done allow you to focus more on the the core of the show because you're not worried about a focus being out or right. a, a bull being dimmer than the rest or right. something There's, you just get to sit there and bang and count to four as many times as you can to keep in time you know it's well that's just, i mean even when i when i do and when i do a new show even at acdc i make a busk page i mean i'll lay it on my i'll lay out everything but before right. before i before i do it. I mean, there are songs that I know what I'm going to do and I'll program them that way. But if there's new stuff or if I want to change something up, I'll just pull up my bus page, which allows me to change the color. But I always have my odd even hits and, and I make it from there. And the bottom line is I could do a whole show on that bus page, you know, mm-hmm. and it might be the same and it might look the same, but you know, people don't notice for the most part, they notice timing, bands notice timing, you know, mm-hmm. my favorite thing is if you, if you can always, you can miss a cue as long as you do it in time. Yeah. You know, it, that's it's, accurate. So that's, that's it for me. It's just, it's just, you know, I'll come up to a, you know, like the festival show where I don't have a lot of time. And instead of doing all this programming, 
and I have to remember where everything is. I just make a bus page and I just just jam it out, you know, flash and trash, as they say. And, and uh, you know, I, it works. And, that, and that's how I, even when I do big, when I design a big elaborate show, I still, you know, go down to that flash and trash. You know, Everybody because, loves it. As well, long exactly. As, as long as you're doing it in time, it's not trashy, it's flashy. Yep, yep exactly. Right on. It sounds like you've uh, you've definitely taken a few years to refine your philosophies on, but it sounds like everything's working out for you, Cosmo. It's great to hear. Well, I, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that I'm still in this business, you know, and, and the one thing about ACDC is the reason they're so popular is because they haven't changed their formula. <laughs> and I haven't changed mine. I mean, you know, it, it's getting back to your, it's funny, you were saying about, you, you know, running a huge audience. Because yeah, I have LDs that come in and, you know, they're opening, they're, they're running lights, the opening act, and I can tell they're intimidated. And I say, guys, you know, just pretend you're in your club. It's the same thing. It's just a big, it's the same console. I mean, okay, there's a few more buttons, but, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, you know, so that's, and, you know, that's, my whole thing with my life is, 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 is gratitude. You know, I'm thankful for everything I have everything you know and, and it's it's a you know and i and i as i you know i always just said I, I always say yes and stuff but i'm you know i'm fortunate that i'm still here you know i'm i'm uh, even with uh, you know this uh, coronavirus thing going around we'll get through it we got through the spanish flu we'll get through this yeah. you know yeah, we, and, always, you know, we always we we'll always be back to work i mean everybody acts like we're gonna be sitting two seats from everybody else for the rest of our lives or for the next century i'm like we're going to be back to normal before you know it. This is yeah. going to come and it's going to go. And, and uh, you know, people will be back to concerts and I think it'll be sooner than later. And, yeah. and, uh, and I, you know, I, I'm loving being home right now. I, I kind of look at it this way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm living my retirement now because when I go back on the road, I can work the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little, a mini practice retirement. Right. But, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting back on the road. I'm looking forward to seeing you somewhere down the road. Absolutely. Thank you much for taking the time, Cosmo. I've all, I really appreciate this. No problem. And, and thank you for the honor of letting me be on your show. And uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, look forward to seeing you again.